I'm just slow and a very raw writer. So I think maybe that's what played into um, <laughs> pretty, pretty simple translation from what's going on in my head and my heart to the page. Welcome to CNF, creative nonfiction podcast where I speak to badass writers, filmmakers, and audio producers about the art and craft of telling true stories. And I am your host, Brendan O'Mara. Today's guest is none other than the incomparable, the unbeatable Chase Jarvis. But before we hang with Sir Jarvis, a word from our supporting sponsors, Creative Nonfiction Podcast, greatest podcast in the world, is sponsored by Goucher College's Master of Fine Arts and Nonfiction. The Goucher MFA is a two-year low-residency program. Online classes let you learn from anywhere, while on-campus residencies allow you to hone your craft with accomplished mentors, who have Pulitzer Prizes and best-selling books to their names. The program boasts a nationwide network of students, faculty, and alumni, which has published 140 books and counting. You'll get opportunities to meet literary agents and learn the ins and outs of the publishing journey. Visit goucher.edu slash nonfiction to start your journey now. Take your writing to the next level and go from hopeful to published. And Goucher's MFA for nonfiction. Also, creative nonfiction podcast is also brought to you by Bay Path University. Discover your story with Bay Path University's fully online MFA in creative nonfiction writing. Recent graduate Christine Brooks recalls her experience with Bay Path's MFA faculty as being filled with positive reinforcement and commitment. They have a true passion and love for their work. It shines through with every comment, every edit, and every reading assignment. The instructors are available to answer questions, big and small, and it is obvious that their years of experience as writers and teachers have made a faculty that I doubt can be beat anywhere. Don't just take her word for it, man. Apply now at baypath.edu MFA. Classes begin January 21st. You got like four months, man. Hmm. Anywho, there is a good chance, a solid chance, a more than 50% chance that there are some new biles to the show this week. You might be one and done, but if you're going to pick one mosh pit to jump in, get into this one. Let's hit it. Oh, that's right, CNFers. We talk about the art and craft of telling true stories around this podcast. Leaders in narrative journalism, memoir, essay, doc film, podcast, radio. They all these all these cats... They share their tools of the craft so you can get better at what you do. You're going to want to keep the conversation going on Twitter, at CNFPod, and Instagram, at CNFPod. And you can find the show wherever you get your podcast. So, I'd love it if you stuck around for a while. Beers on ice. Chase Jarvis. He of world-class photography. He of creative live. He is a riser of tides, man. And he's got a new book out, Creative Calling. Establish a daily practice, infuse your world with meaning, and succeed in work and life. It is out now, and I swear, friend, if I had the money, I'd put this book in all of your hands. This thing is like the infinity gauntlet with all the stones. Snap your fingers, and you can wipe out half the universe, or create a life and living doing what you love. You know, your choice. I say read it twice, back to back, and call me in the morning. The first time... Your brain is going to be firing too much to do much about it. But the second read is where the marinade of Chase's principles seep into the meat. So, 
Throw this bad boy on a flame, man, and it's going to light up. This will give you an idea of the kind of guy Chase is, okay? So two years ago, I was the very first live call-in to his YouTube show, The Daily Creative. But that's not the coolest part. Uh, the coolest part was when his colleague, I believe his name was Finn, was setting up the call with me. We were going back and forth over text, and Finn told me how important Chase was and how Chase effectively like changed his life. Unprompted. I mean, that that is total impact right there. Can you imagine being like that to someone? I feel like I'm a damn tar pit for people around me, but when you get to hear Chase speak and the way he motivates people, you're like, yeah, I'm going to make something of myself, man. So I've been familiar with Chase's work for 10 years, been listening to his podcast, Chase Jarvis Live Show, and reading his material and, and buying Jermaine creative live classes. I can't vouch for the company he founded there enough. It's a amazing resource. So to hear him in my own headphones engaging with me in a way he's engaged with the world's greatest leaders in art and business, you name it. I mean, what a total thrill. Little shout out to River Teeth, a journal of narrative nonfiction. For the promotional support, digital fist bumps, go check them out, submit your CNF and work. So we break open the pinata that is creative calling. And it is, uh, there's too much to tease. There's just too much to tease. So I hope you'll strap in, get out a notebook, and please enjoy this conversation I had with the one and the only Jace Jarvis. I don't know, having me on the show and helping give some oxygen to this thing that I've been putting my life into. You know, I talk about the, the actual writing process was a couple of years, but uh, like anything, right? If, it, if it's a couple of years worth of process, you're really, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm putting like 30 years worth of brain power into it. And so it's, it's just to get it out in the, into the world is, it means the world to me to get your support, man. Thank you. Of course, and I think one of the, the best compliments I can pay you about the book is that it is so distinctively Chase. Like, your <laughs> your voice really just pops off the page, and, and for when you were writing this book, like, how, um, you know, sometimes it's very hard to, to really drill down on your voice and make it really elevate, and so how how much of a challenge was that for you to really make this distinctively, you know, your voice popping off the page? Well, I like to... Um... My process is, is is a little bit of a well, I guess following my own advice in the book. It's it's basically it's a process where I just sit down and do the work, and I do it regardless of whether I'm motivated or not, or tired or not, or happy or not, and um, and I just get words on the page. And oftentimes that's early in the morning and late at night, and it's almost where we have no choice but to be ourselves. And I just I, I take Anne Lamott's cue from Bird by Bird and just put out shitty first drafts. <laughs> yeah. And the benefit of shitty first drafts is that it's raw. And I do think that that my voice is a little bit raw. It's not a I'm not a fast writer. Um, you know, my medium is really is primarily photography, uh, moving pictures, video, and and building businesses. So. I can write. I have a history of you know writing a couple thousand blog posts and um, and even way back in graduate school in, in philosophy of art, I was you know you have to write a lot then. But 
I'm just slow and a very raw writer. So I think maybe that's what played into um, <laughs> pretty, pretty simple translation from what's going on in my head and my heart to the page. And what kind of uh, maybe inner dialogue did you have to maybe grant yourself that kind of permission to to ta- to don that the writer hat, given that you are primarily, you know, you're made your bones as a photographer, entrepreneur, and then this is a slightly different pivot in terms of, and of course you've done a lot of blog posts too, but to be, yeah. to write, to be into this sort of book, bookosphere, if you will, I, what was that like for you just to give yourself permission to, to go ahead and go forth and try to package this together? Well, let, let me take one step back because there's a, it was a very amazing process to be writing a book about creativity and my life's experiences and the experiences of the hundreds of guests that I've had on the podcast, the top, top creators and entrepreneurs in the world, and to be writing about the thing that I was doing and to have the thing not be my native fluent like um, uh, craft. So it, it, like I was basically taking my own medicine the whole time I was writing and and it was allow yourself just like put stuff onto the page. And as soon as the censoring and the judging comes in, that's when sort of we, we leave that intimate, that real space in us. And we, we become outside of ourselves. And then the work, there's this gap between what you can create and what you see in your mind. And this gap between your authentic self and the, the one that you think you should have. And so for me, it was really, and this is throughout the book, which that's one of the reasons I think it's it's a powerful, uh, I think it's a powerful little a pill to take. This book, it reinforces that just putting it on the page and creating um, without judgment is ultimately the key to harnessing our creative power and most importantly our voice, because we can create something, but ideally we want it to say something, say something about ourselves or the world, or you know we're putting putting ourselves and our creativity out in the world to, to manifest something, to be able to do that in a raw, non-judgmental way. That's where you typically get the best product. So, you know, and that's, you know, that advice is littered throughout the book. And I often found myself just, (laughs) I got to confess, Brendan, like (laughs) trying to shape it and trying to like, Oh, it would be so much more poetic if it went like this or looked like that or smelled or felt like this. And you know, the reality is I, I couldn't do that because as soon as I start walking on someone else's path, it reeks of somebody else. So um, it was a lot about giving myself permission to suck, which is a section <laughs> of the book. And and embrace it, the suck. Yeah, embrace the suck. And in doing so, you know, again, you, you create enough shitty first drafts and there's a little nugget in there and it's those nuggets and um, and then expanding on that to that's where just sitting down every day, you know, it was really, really a lot of early mornings and and late nights and weekends. I'm, uh, I'm currently, we have a little, uh, in our family, we have a, a little beach house that's an hour north of Seattle. It's reasonably secluded. It's been in our family for 95 years. We paid $10 for this piece of dirt on the ocean. Yeah, I just come, I, I'm looking at the deed on the wall right now, $10, $10 in 1925. And I just come up here to write. And, you know, there's no one to judge. It's just me. And, you know, often my wife is, is amazingly creative and super supportive. And, you know, I'd float things by her. But the permission to suck, allowing myself the process of just sitting down and doing the work every day. Um, and, you know, here we are, whatever, a couple years later and, you know, 30 years worth of ideas later. And um, I'm so excited to get the book into the hands of the world. 
part of the what makes the book so engaging too. It it, it everything about what what you do. It's not that you just tease out a lot of people's origin stories and everything. You tease out a lot of very tactical things, of course. So there, this is part playbook, but there's also this sort of memoir component to it that I that I found really engaging and learned a lot of things that I never knew before. Um, specifically, in in you in you dollop it throughout the entire book, which makes for a very sort of engaging structure it's like here's some playbook stuff and then here's some personal anecdotes and so how did you come to that conclusion that you wanted to sprinkle in the personal stories throughout the course of the book as you're giving the reader uh things to act on as well wow um that's a great question i guess here here's here's how i think about it which is i can only really account you know recount truly authentically my own experience of life. And I feel like I lived this arc that so many of us live, I think most of us, which is, as a kid, we're born to create, right? You go to any first grade classroom and and say, who wants to come to the front of the room and, and draw me a picture? And every single hand goes up. That is just a reminder that we are born, we're creating machines, it's innate in us, it's a natural human condition or habit or desire. And, you know, creativity is this heartbeat that we have, just like, um, just, I think this is John, Cass- uh, John, yeah, John Cacioppo. It's like, if, if thirst is the thing that reminds us to drink and hunger is this thing that reminds us to eat, in, in both cases, if we don't do that, we'll die. There's this, this innate desire to create things. And by creating, I'm not talking just painting and, you know, art in the classic sense, it's creating anything that we're creating machines and we have this calling inside us and the creative calling, it sort of reminds us to express ourselves, to be human. And we, ha- we've got this culture that unintentionally, either unintentionally or accidentally sort of drives this out of us. Cause if you ask that same classroom when there are sixth graders, how, who wants to come up and draw me a picture? It's like, you know, 50% or less, and then ask them when they're 20 and it's just one or two people. Right. So there's, right. it's, it's, my story was very much like that. I was just so passionate about creating as a kid. And I think we all are. That's a really key component of the book. If you think back, the play and the the free thinking and the free spiritedness that we all had as a child. And, you know, and it's not just about growing up and getting mature and making decisions, because that's, that's sort of a layer that, you know, responsibility and adulthood, but that doesn't have to, it's not a trade off for our creativity and our joy. So, you know, what I've learned is that through talking to, again, so many of the world's top creators and whatnot on my podcast and, and through, you know, creating Creative Live, that it's this is a really common thing. So if I can just share my story really authentically and raw and because I basically have done I've made all the wrong turns that you can make. I've done everything that everybody else thought I should do with my life. And after stepping in it four or four or five different times, I mean, I, I, I dropped out of a career in professional soccer. I, dropped, I bailed on medical school. I dropped out of uh, graduate school, a PhD program in philosophy. And if you don't think those things are hard and, and if you don't think those, those things disappoint your closest friends and family members, then you're crazy, right? And we all yeah, have this yeah. pressure. So it, it was really this understanding that my arc was not special and and yet it's it's all too common. So, you know, there's this this phrase, I think it's a Voltaire, that in the particular lies the universal. So 
the reason my narrative is sort of woven throughout there is because I've made every mistake you can in the book and I'm still, <laughs> I salvaged my own innate creativity and I salvaged, you know, I think this is an important part of the book. It's not just about creating in small ways every day. That's definitely, you know, whether it's cooking a meal or coding or playing the guitar or building a business. But what you really get when you start to do those things on a regular basis is that you realize you can create the arc of your life. And so if if that's true, then if we deny our creativity, we're also denying our own ability to pursue the things that give our lives meaning and bring us joy and ultimately what is our highest calling. So, you know, the to bring it full circle, I could really only talk from my own experience. And when I realized through talking to others that this is so common, that's to me what made hopefully what makes the the, the story uh, relevant. And, you know, there's a lot of pop culture examples from from those folks that have been on my podcast or on Creative Live. But ultimately, I think it's this shared experience of denying of knowing this is natural to us somehow through culture or training or parent, you know, parenting or experience or grief, we deny it. And it's only through sort of reclaiming it that we can actually reclaim our personal power over our lives. When would you say you might have been most in danger of losing or 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 ceding to societal pressures and maybe missing the train of your of your creative calling? Mm. Jeez. So, here's the thing. It never stops. Like the pressure to ignore and suppress and deny it never stops. It's constant. And that's because the world needs to, you to be in a little box to basically categorize and put you in a place. And, you know, you have this job title, you look like this, you walk like this and you talk like this. And that's the world's organizational structure. And that's because we're social animals and there's nothing catastrophic, catastrophic about that other than that. It's if you're not consistently staying connected to your creativity, it starts to be pulled from you. And it starts to you start to be denied this natural gift giving life giving um, faculty that we all this 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 habit that we all need need to develop. So the 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 long answer is it's it's constant. You know, again, even during writing this book, <laughs> I felt it pulled for me several times <laughs> and in several different ways, professionally, personally. Um, but to I guess to get specific. And I think maybe harness this idea that you're trying to get at is there are specific times, usually around um, like when we have to just, quote, decide what we're going to do for a living um, or where we're going to go to school or college or some of these life moments. And we we end up getting talked into trading our authentic selves for some should, some cultural should. And. So for me in particular, it was uh, the earliest incarnation was when I realized, you know, that I didn't want to be, you know, I came from a, a lower middle class family. It was the first person in my family to graduate college, still to this day, only person in my family to graduate college. And so there was, and my parents, don't get me wrong, like I had, despite being lower middle class, I had, you know, my parents were together. I was born white and male and relatively um I mean, in in this day and age in the United States, like you can say that that's pretty privileged, but it was still so hard culturally to realize that in choosing to do your own thing, whatever feels authentic and natural to you, which is a thing that's inside every person, 
we get talked into doing the the shoulds and the oughts. And this runs totally counterintuitive to our limitless potential to create new things and to create a living and a life that we love. So for me, it was in school, disappointing my parents, deciding to bail on medical school to become a photographer. And that's to be clear, this is not a thing that the book requires, right? It's not about becoming a pro or this is just getting in tune with this innate piece of ourselves. And it is that innate piece that allows us through creating in small ways every day that allows us to create our life. So again, for, for me though, um, it, it happened. Well, it's, it's, it's nearly constant, but there are big, a big pivot moments in life. Like when you are telling your parents where you you don't want to go to school or when you're changing careers or when you're in a career, you've it's run its course and you need to make a change and people they see you in the box that you've been existing in for the past three years, six years, whatever. And it's when you change something that it's very, very hard and, and sort of society reminds you that it's risky and dangerous and all these things that it's really, that's really not. It's actually the, I think it's the riskiest time in the world to play it safe. Hey, it's me, your CNF and buddy, Brendan. Listen, We all need editing. We all need fresh eyes. You need someone who can objectively look at your work and coach it along. Whether that's developmental editing or even copy editing, hiring a great editor is one of the best investments you can make in your book and your writing. So if you want to take your book to the next level, consider working with me. I'd be thrilled and honored to help. Email brendan at brendanomero.com if you want to take that leap together. And now... Back to the greatest podcast in the world. I love that in your, you know, in your in your background that you were a competitive soccer player on that on that professional track. And yeah. I love talking to people because I was I was a pretty competitive baseball player, and um and there's so many lessons embedded in sport. And I haven't uh, I'd love to hear you kind of um kind of speak to how the lessons or just the the process of uh, of training and going through a very rigorous athletic regimen kind of trained you in such a way, what principles that you transferred over um, with respect to maybe merit and even subjectivity yeah. in, in terms of athletics and how that's um, informed your artistic career? I think a lot of it falls under the heading of, of showing up for yourself. You know, again, this is like, there's so many inbound messages that we receive about what we ought or should do. And, you know, I have a handful of core beliefs that I talk about in the book. And one is that you're creative by nature. And I think this there's the correlation here to, to your question about sort of sports and teams and individual athletics or whatever. There's, there's a really tight correlation here. You'll see this. So the first thing I believe is that we're all creative by nature, that we are endowed with limitless potential to, you know, create the arc of our lives. And I guess analogously is that we all, we have bodies and our bodies are designed to move. Like, you know, the human joint can't be, despite us being able to fly to the moon and whatever, we can't replicate how smooth the human joints are. And and we can, you know, we can make robots, but they're just the worst rough, rough approximation of what it is to be a human. So in the same way we're natively creative, we're, we're born to move. And, you know, principle two is that, you get better by like creativity, for example, is a muscle. 
And just like any other muscle, the way you strengthen it and the way you develop it is through using it. Conversely, if you don't use it, it atrophies. And so you start to see this analogy of, of this, you know, the sports analogy that you mentioned coming to life here. It's like practice is the way that you actually get, get good at something. And whether it's tennis or, you know, your, your creative craft. Uh, and then this, the third principle that you have to, I think that we all must believe is that the more you do this in, in my world, the more you create every day, the better you'll become at creating the life that you want. Or in the sports analogy, you know, the more you practice, the closer you'll be able to be to, to do the things you want to do, whether that's, you know, how to hit a, hit a golf ball straight or to strike a soccer ball, or in your case, to hit a, hit a slider. You know, so, so yes, doing those things on a small daily basis, you know, cooking or coding or building a business, it, it literally rewires your brain, helps you shape your environment, and it gives you this unshakable sense of agency, you know, and that's part of what makes this book very intuitive, I think, is that these are our, these are our experiences. We have the experience of, we have this innate ability, whether it's to move or to create, we have this native ability. We understand that doing something more and, and doing it, it's like, it's a muscle that then using the muscle, it gets stronger. Like to me, that's, those are just experiences that we have moving through life, why wouldn't it then be the same for creativity? Exactly. And I think what's what what's important to underscore too, and I, this is where drawing a parallel with sport is really uh, important. And it, may, it kind of puts something a little more concrete in people's heads. And, and I think when people like they, they listen to you and see, see you, they follow, follow your various channels, and they don't necessarily see the the hard work they kind of see the the end end product of a lot of rigor um so in soccer like maybe before practice you're taking 100 pks or something yep. and and it's for that one one moment where you might be able to score under pressure you know for baseball player it might be taking you know in high school doing maybe 100 extra swings a day in the basement every night off a tee is going to get you to maybe be a decent college player but then that ratchets up then you got to start taking 500 swings in college to get better so with respect to, you know, hard work and ethic and having to ratchet up like, over the course of your career, how have you learned to sort of measure and delineate what hard work means as you continually leveled up in your career? Oh, that's uh, so that's a that's a double edged question or maybe a, a question that can go on two branches. One around like there is a sort of a tactic to practice, right? And and that's, you know, you alluded to this earlier, that there's a lot of tactics in the book about how to stay tuned in to this part of ourselves. And, you know, that like, get the book so we don't, we don't get mired in the actual tactics. Uh, and, and, and then there's this other one, this other sort of, I guess, thread, which is, if you're doing the thing that you you are designed to do, if you can discover what calls to you, what what is in like tr truly in your heart, and you can pursue that, it does feel effortless. Relative, I mean, there's that. Don't be wrong. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it, but it's the way I talk about it in the book is effortless hard work. Mm. And and so whether that's a sport or in this case it's your love of cooking or 
you know, building uh, the next, you know, billion dollar startup or whatever it is, when you step back from all the noise and the chatter that is in our culture and you focus internally and you understand in your heart of hearts what you're supposed to be doing and you're willing to risk disappointing others to save that, you know, that eight-year-old kid that we talked about at the beginning of our talk here, the idea of ratcheting up or doing more work or whatever, it's almost, it's almost, it fades into the background because, mm -hmm. because there's this inherent pull. I talk about it in the book about being on your path. The cool thing about your path is that only you can walk it. It doesn't have to look like everybody else's. In fact, you can only find your own path through, you know, if you've ever felt like it was a wrong turn, no, no, that was something you had to do in order to discover what you didn't want to do, for example. But if you listen to that little voice inside your head, I, call, I talk a lot in the book about intuition. There's some great science that's coming out around it. But, you know, sure, there's tactics in the book and there's tactics in life for working hard and what you should be doing to do anything and how, you, you know, you can performance concepts and but this is not a productivity book. This is not like a biohacking book. This is way more about, sure, there's some techniques for that stuff, but if you're actually attuned to the thing or the set of things that make your life what you want it, all the concepts of ratcheting up and having to take 500 swings instead of 100 to make it to the next level, whatever you want to do, almost fades into the background. I I love how you you really make sure that you know if you want to take uh, at least go down a certain path that you're asking the right questions because there is a an element of you know you shouldn't necessarily it, it can be strategic and you should you should be asking yourself the right questions uh, for instance like for with new projects you know you're right you know what is the goal of the project why am I doing it what do I hope to get out of it and by using those kind of questions, it really hones the focus and sharpens the knife. So it's really, uh, I, I love that you, you do that because if you th can think think about it a little, it can actually kind of turn you loose, right? Yeah, and and for the, I think thinking about it, if you if if the answer comes quickly, that's that intuition. You know, it's like what we're finding, what science is saying is that relative to intuition, like rational thought is actually slow and loaded with bias and there's all kinds of negative versus that intuition that gut feeling that we've been taught culturally so this is like don't if, if you're having these problems and you're listening to this show right now it's like don't worry this is natural and that's a product of our environment you're trained to ignore your intuition and you know get in line and get a job at the factory in the cubicle and the and if you can if you can train yourself to stop for a second and follow that, that, listen to the real voice in there and train yourself to pay attention to that intuition. Like to me, that's the thing that is, that creates the effortless hard work. That's the thing that, um, even if you have a plan, like, or sorry, even if you, you're able to, to listen to that, that intuition, like that, that's great for the people who don't, who, who can't. And, and just to be clear, like, Brennan, this is a big part of the, our culture. Like it's been trained so far out of so many of us that it's very hard. So if you don't have that intuition or that snap or that the way that you reca reclaim it, recapture it is, is literally by experimenting. It's by doing most people try and think their way out of that corner 
And that's a non, that's a, you can't. Like if you're sitting there, you know, I, I talk about it in terms of action over intellect. Mm. Like if you don't know if you should pursue the guitar or cooking, just do both. <laughs> like, right. and, and it'll emerge really, really quickly. Or if you don't know if you should, you know, in terms of sort of life stuff, if you don't know if you should date this particular person or pursue this professional goal or try, you'll find out so quickly. And that's that's part of how you reactivate both your intuition and very, very importantly, your heart. Yeah, and that kind of gets to the point of uh, of uh, what Seth Godin would call the dip too, like when to quit, when to strategically quit. Um, or, or when, or are you just approaching the moment when it's getting difficult, uh, in, in your, in your experience? So, and you've probably encountered dozens upon dozens of dips in your life. And, uh, how did you know when you were approaching a dip worth pushing through or hitting a dip that you were like, you know what, it's time to pull the ripcord and move to something else. There's a really great lens that my friend, Chris Gillibo, I don't know if you know his work. He's an amazing yeah. author wrote the hundred dollar startup. Um, so many, so many great books and he's got a new one coming out. So you should keep an eye out for it. But he talks about a really simple rubric, which is like, do I love it? And is it working? And if you can answer just a very simple two two question framework, like if you love something and it's not working, then you can keep doing it. If you don't love something and it's not working, well, it's obvious, right? Right. And it's when those things are in conflict, like I love it, but it's not working and you should keep going because you, if you're pursuing something that you love, you will ultimately be able to find a way to make it work in some capacity. And what you'll start to do is adapt. And, and Chris talks about it in a couple of his books, just like that's the number one predictor of success. It's not bullheadedness. It's not like just keep on trying and smashing your head against the brick wall. No, it's like adaptability and flexibility. There's a big thing on that in the book about how to like get in tune with this part of yourself. And, and it has a lot to do with community. If you don't know what you should do, it's not about sitting back and thinking your way out of it. It's about getting involved and taking action. And the best and easiest way to take action is not necessarily maybe a little bit by yourself, but it's also getting involved in a community that taps in and touches the things that you love. It can be casual that way. You can sort of, you can sniff it and you can touch it and you can get close to it without actually having to be all in. And that is a way to sort of spark that curiosity, listen to that intuition. And again, this is the cool thing about this, which is when you start to do these things, it's like a flywheel. The things that work accelerate and the things that are hard or complicated or that you don't love in Chris's little rubric that I just talked about they fade away pretty quickly. And this is a, uh, the, the creativity literature is, is kind of a, a crowded sphere. And so how did you set out to write this, this book and to, to kind of uh, loosely quote you, uh, to not be just good, but different. So how, mm -hmm. how did you approach that in, in this sphere and you know, really carve out what is uniquely you in this sphere? I'm 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 just I'm gonna speak my truth here. I love this question because to me this is part of what's broken about creativity. The other creativity there and there's some amazing books about creativity from some some authors that are way more talented than I am. 
but what I what I really what I think this book why it's different and worthwhile is because it doesn't put creativity on some pedestal. It's it's not this romantic thing that is made for few and inaccessible and academic and there's no berets, there's no smoking the cigarettes and moving to Kelly. <laughs> it's it is this this is a life sustaining function. This is a practical this this tool this gift that we are given is the most practical. If you've ever made anything, anything in life, just like you've ever taken a picture, if you've ever put, you know, if, if you've ever written a computer program, if you've ever built anything with your hands, anything, including a meal, that's creativity. And so it brings it down to such a simple fundamental level. It's almost, uh, you know, it's almost like um, sort of so simple, it's bordering on pedantic, but it's in reclaiming the simple building block of our humanity that we understand that we can sort of, you know, build brick by brick a ladder or a staircase to anywhere that we want to go. So I take great pride in using really, it's like it's pop culture oriented. It's, you know, it acknowledges the internet. It acknowledges things like money and choices and what our friends and family think when we're trying to, you know, pursue the things that we're supposed to do in this world. And, you know, if, if, if a book just tells you how to do everything right from the first step, like most business books do this, like here's how to do this and this and this. And it's, that's not real life, man. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I like books that say you're going to break here. You're going to this, you're going to screw this up and this is going to be hard. And this is like, and, and it's sort of a roadmap for navigating that. That's what this book is about, which is I think very different in the marketplace where everyone else is not everyone. I don't want to start speaking too, too broadly, but by and large creativity books are hyper and, and um, academic and they, it's, it's very much like it doesn't, wouldn't dare talk about things like money or career or your, when your parents tell you you're stupid for pursuing something you love and that you should go be a fill in the blank. That's a, a practical and safe. And, and, and I think this does a very, very simply debunks all that. There's a great line in uh, Austin Kleon's latest book towards towards the very end um, of that if books are made of books and he gives a, a list of books that helped inform his latest book Keep Going and you and I both have spoken to him at length about that um, if books are made of books what books helped inform Creative Calling for you Oh my gosh Whew. Uh, of course all of the books that you may be referencing on creativity when you're asking about them you know the war of art fear art and fear uh big magic uh artist's way um bird by bird uh there's a, there's just a litany of creative books that i think are more in line with the universe that i was just describing like i had to sort of consume all those and you know live in the trenches as a professional creative for virtually my entire life or my entire adult life, that is, in order to figure out what I wanted to put together. But it's way more, I think, this intersection of pop culture and acknowledging the world that we live in, where there, you know, there's an abundance of information where, you know, there's no longer other gatekeepers, right? You, you, a lot of those books were written at a time that those, those other books that we were referencing, or I was referencing, they were written at a time where you had to get approval from the gallery person or the venture capitalist or the there, you know, there's these gatekeepers that said whether you could or couldn't do something, create a business or 
hanging in an art gallery and there were no other venues. And so what this book does, and it draws from, you know, like just other pop culture books from, you know, Tim Ferriss, dear friend, the, the, the four hour, whatever, four hour work week and <laughs> Brene Brown's, you know, all her world about vulnerability and bravery and authenticity. So that it, it, it has this sort of pop culture element to it that is derived from the modern world. So it's putting these things together again, this, and this is what creativity is, right? You're putting new things together or not necessarily things that are new, but things that existed before, but you're combining them in new and different ways. You know, that's, and and ideally it's, it becomes something useful. So that's, there's a history of, of creativity books, but in the same way that my photography really borrowed a lot more from pop culture and, and other industries, I wanted to bring in, you know, like a broad section of pop culture literature of, uh, of there's humor, there's, you know, it's, it's practical and, and productivity oriented. It's spiritual. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, like Brene Brown talks about having a strong back and a soft front. Like you have to have a spine if you really want to live the life of your dreams. And if you go in to everything with just your spine and it's stiff and strong, then you're actually not, you're missing so much about what it means to be human and, and how do you connect with other people, let alone yourself. Again, I'm trying to bring an an amalgam that I don't, I hadn't seen in the world that was based on my own experiences. There's no roadmap for this stuff, right? Right. And And that's in part what I was trying to create. This is both, this is not some treatise on creativity. This is like a practical guide to creating, just acknowledging your own creativity and how to manage the lists of shoulds and the expectations and money and, and acknowledge that if you reject your creativity or just even just casually, what you're really rejecting is the life that you could be living. And I love the the moment early on in the book where you kind of identify four different kinds of people, like being whether you're the noodler or the prioritizer, <laughs> resistor or the striver. And yeah. um, I, I love that part. I identified with the striver um, for sure. <laughs> um, embedded in, in that striver, of course, is someone who just feels like, you know, they, uh, you know, they've got some ambition, but maybe they don't feel like they're as far ahead as they want to be. And then tethered to this, Sometimes is looking over your shoulder and that whole comparison and uh, working through that. Um, how did you uh, arrive at those kind of four distinct uh, sort of uh, creator profiles? And maybe what do you identify with? Mm. Um, I think there's actually f- five, if I'm not mistaken. There's the starter, the noodler, the prioritizer, six, the starter, the noodler, the prioritizer, the resistor, and the striver. And you know, this is a, this is such a fun process. I'm so glad you asked about this because this is, I literally just went through all of my friends <laughs> and, and like, and it's, it's quite easy if you know someone really well. And that's one of the things that I love. And, and the book has a really strong component of, of community to it because nothing happens in a vacuum, right? You, you, if anytime you see someone's success, it was not just because of that person. And so there's a big a community element to it. And that allowed me to reflect on the community that I've been, you know, living in, other communities that existed before I got there, the community that I've built around my own 
living and life and my work as a photographer and a and an entrepreneur, the creative the, the creative live community. And so I had so because I'm 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 passionate about sort of connecting and connecting with others that I could really easily like end up um, lumping these people into like, oh, oh, this person, uh, you know, oh, Tim Ferriss, he's a fill in the blank. Um, um, Arlen, for, Arlen Hamilton, she, you know, oh, she's definitely an X and and he's definitely a Y. And and then I tried to find people that didn't that I, I knew, you know, that I had collaborated with very, very closely that didn't fit into one of those buckets. And I, when I got to the place where I feel like I'd named them all, that's when I, I knew to stop. Um, and again, it's a, it's a fun part of the book. And the goal with that is helping you understand a little bit more about yourself. It's, you know, not different, not too dissimilar from just like personality tests or it's a very, very way simplified version of that, or like the Enneagram or some of these things, like there are, there are personality types and we have just put you in a bucket and the goal with understanding that is that it helps you navigate your own universe just a little bit better. Yeah. And it, and with the striver too, you write that, you know, once you escape the trap of compare and despair, once you realize that the only path to walk is the one right in front of you, your progress will catch up with that limitless ambition. Uh, I, I love that line. And, and I wonder uh, what, what is, what can people do uh, who do fall into the compare and despair trap? Um, mm. It's it's very real. It's something I definitely wrestle with all the time. Uh, I wonder, you know, how, how how can people deal with that from you know from your perspective? Uh, I'm going to call on a friend of mine, Marie Forleo. Uh, you know, familiar with Marie's work. I, I cite her in the book, and mm -hmm. wonderful human. Just a great takeaway for this compare is like. If you can create on something in advance of um, consuming the work of other people, you will always be better off. Because here, if you are sitting around comparing, and let's just use Instagram as an example, right? If you spend the first 10 minutes of your day scrolling through your Instagram feed, what are you looking at? You're looking at everybody else's highlight reel, right? And it's a curated has a very intentional point of view behind it. I want you to think this about me and here's my highlight reel. And you, you're busy immediately um, comparing your, your real world to everybody else's highlight reel. So if you're consuming before you're creating on a daily basis, you're going to start off in a bad place because that's instant comparison. That's what that does. Versus if you just flip the script, if you didn't and again, this is an oversimplification, but just to use Instagram as an example, if you woke up and you created something or you retouched a photo that you wanted to share on Instagram, just to keep it brutally simple, and then went out into the world for inspiration, you're going to feel better because you already did something. You, you, you did that work. You Again, action over intellect. You created something before you had the – you gave yourself the ability to despair over your own situation. And that goes back to that sort of one of those principles that I believe so deeply in, which about like it's a process. Creativity is not a skill. Creativity is a habit. And once you get in this habit, you're like you it automatically brings less judgment. It automatically uh, you, like we're never going to be completely free of compare and despair. But when you're putting work out into the world again and work can be, you know, we can use any 
number of examples, you you the benefit of that is that it doesn't create this paralysis. That's the despair. And in taking action, even if you make something that is obviously imperfect or there's a gap between what you want to make and what you actually are able to make, what you do is you tap into your agency. You tap into realizing that, oh, wait a minute, I just made something. And if I make something more often or if I take action, it's sort of like lifting weights. If I do that more often, I know that I can get better. And to me, that's that there's this cure, whether you're, you know, to go back to Marie's example, whether you're creating before you're consuming and you're, you know, it, we're never going to be completely free from comparison, but it puts that comparison part of ourselves or our social animal instincts on a back burner and puts our ability to cultivate and create the the life that we want. So this, like literally the more creative you are on a day-to-day basis, the better you'll become at building a life you want. All the muscles that you use to create small things every day, those are the same muscles that you use to create your life. So in your world, I would, my prescription, if you're a, a striver who's comparing and despairing, my prescription would be create something first. Don't allow yourself, give yourself just a, a 10 minute window in the morning or, you know, for morning pages or write something or, and it does not have to be complicated. There's no beret. You don't have to have a license or a degree or anything to take, to take 10 minutes and to create something. As, as tactical as a lot of the things are. And I I think the big, big takeaway, and it's something you harp on all the time and how important community is. And if you take nothing away from this book, I think it's one of the, one of the core things to take away is that, small or large it start it starts small to get of course to to grow something so maybe you can speak to that like how important is community to building a platform if nothing else just to nourish nourish the inner creator inside of us to to share and uh, build something a little bigger than ourselves whether you are an introvert or an extrovert that has nothing to do with our required desire for human connection like humans that's just that's the thing we're, we are social animals regardless of how we get like what introvert or extrovert just means where you get recharged right if you're an extrovert you get recharged your batteries are charged by being out in front of people and connected and social and if you're an introvert they're recharged from like coming back in and being quiet and then you it doesn't mean you can't go out and if you're an introvert that you can't be quiet and and you know connect with yourself but we are, it, it's just, it's, it's required that we acknowledge that we're social animals. First of all, if you look at any aspect of humanity, if you want to create a life that you love or a living that is doing the things that bring you joy, there are other people involved. That's just a fact, right? You can, like, it's just, this is sort of the, one of the ways that this book is so different than others. It's like, Let's just be really like painfully practical here. And so if that's a fact and humans are, are social animals, if you start to invest in the world around you beyond just yourself, if you are the fan for others that you wish you had, that cultivates a community that will in turn support the things that you were put on this planet to do. And the cool thing is like when you start showing up for other people, other people 
will start showing up for you. And there's this, again, this sort of this cycle that is, is so simple. It's brutally simple and yet incredibly powerful, especially when you realize that nothing is done in a vacuum. Every individual athlete, any entrepreneur, any, um, even a, a family, right? You, you, a family is multiple people and we need one another in order to grow and support and, um, and contribute. Um, I talk a lot in the book about a couple of different types of community. There's communities that exist out in the world. If you're a, you know, a photographer, for example, there are all kinds of photography communities out there in the world and it's very easy to contribute or participate both physically as in like eyeball to eyeball and digitally, you know, you can be a member of Facebook groups and, online forums and you can learn remotely from mentors in an industry but there's also the community that you build around your world and what this does not mean is that you have to have a million followers on some social platform in order to be a, a influencer that is horseshit that has nothing to do with what i'm talking about if let's just say you're a blacksmith in jackson hole wyoming and if you your community is the restaurant tours in and around Jackson and they come to you for their knives because you, you know, that brings purpose and meaning to all of the blows of your hammer. Of course, you're doing it for yourself because you've done the work. You realize that this is who you want to be and do and what you, how you tap into this personal power and your, it's your agency or your creative calling. But it doesn't, you don't need to do this for a thousand people or even a hundred. You can do it for 10. If all of the the blacksmith or all of the uh, restaurateurs and the chefs in the, in the region love the steel that you make for them, then that's the right size community. If you want to, at the other end of the spectrum, if you want to make a change in some global policy, then of course, bringing movement to a huge, you know, uh, you know, millions of people, then that's a, another way of building community. But the point is, and it goes back to your original question here is, Creativity is, you know, it's it's a huge focus of the book, but nothing, nothing in life happens without other humans. So let's start paying attention to what it is, what it's like to be a part of a dynamic community. And there are many, you don't have to participate in just one. It's an imperfect system, but there's a little bit of a roadmap in the book that tells you how to do that. And I, I talk about it as the other 50%, the 50% of success in whatever terms you, you, you use to define success. 50% of it involves other people and community. So what we're told is that if you're really good at your fill in the blank, you're going to be successful. And then if you actually do that thing, then you're, you know, you're, you, you realize pretty quickly, Oh, I have to do that thing and promote that thing. And then you think, okay, that's the whole pie. But then you realize that if you're promoting it and you haven't cultivated any community, whatever it is you're promoting, your knives or the vision that you have for an active, you know, a, a, a role in saving plastic from going in the oceans. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. just do that without a community, then it's just, you know, if you do it in your parents' basement, you, you don't really cultivate the impact. So there's this huge part, and this is the part that I talk about community as the other 50% of success that is not talked about culturally. culturally. So to me, it's critical. And I think that it also highlights one piece of the book that I think anyone who's listening should know about is the goal. The goal is that, that I want to show you the, the, what happens in slow motion 
so often in our culture, we cut from the, it was hard. And then, oh my gosh, here's our success. You know, nobody talks about it in, the, in, in, in these books or these, it's the, like the business books, they all talk about it like, here, here's how to never make a mistake. And it's not about sort of avoiding mistakes. It's about how to recover from them. And that you also see in these inspirational talks, it's like, how do you get from, you know, I traveled through Europe trying to teach myself how to use a camera and I ate cans of tuna fish and drink and, and beans for like two weeks in a row so that I could develop a single roll of film. How do you get from eating tuna fish and beans to living the life of your dreams? Like that's in part, you know, in summary what this uh, what I wanted from this book. It's both the idea and the vision around it, but also sort of this practical, you know, inside the black box of how you actually make this stuff happen for yourself. Well, it's amazing. The book is, it's such a, a gift and a, a gift to the creative community. Anyone, you know, fill in the blank. It's just, it's a tremendous, like I say, it's just a tremendous gift and everything you do with Creative Live, your podcast, and uh, just a lot of the things that you that you uh, generously, you know, give away in the spirit of rising, rising uh, all the boats with a rising tide. It's just um, I can't thank you enough, Chase, for the time you're spending on the show here and all and all the work you do. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I'm I'm a fan of the show. I appreciate being on it, and um, thanks for having me. Amazing, amazing stuff, right? Big thanks to Chase Jarvis. He's at Chase Jarvis just about everywhere on social media. He's a mandatory follow because of his generosity, and he's one of those guys who actually replies to you. And he's just stone-cold inspiring. I mean, if you didn't gather that by the last hour you spent here, I can't help you. I can't help you. I am done helping. Go get the book, Creative Calling. Like I said, it is it is an amazing gift. Thanks to Goucher's MFA in nonfiction. Baypath University's MFA in Creative Nonfiction and River Teeth for the support, of course. Keep the conversation going. I insist on Twitter at CNFPod and Instagram at CNFPod. Social media is a lousy way to promote a podcast, but it's a great place to keep that conversation going. So I hope I've made something worth sharing. And if I did, please hand this off to a friend. Tell them to join up. Also, be sure to go to brendanomera.com. Hey, hey. For show notes to this episode and a hundred million other ones. And also sign up for my monthly newsletter. Great recommendations or reading recommendations. What you might have missed from the world of the podcast. Once a month. No spam. Can't beat it. If you're feeling kind, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I think that's it, CNFers. I'm in a weird place with my work. So it always makes me feel good to say, if you can't do, interview. See ya.